Good morning. It's my privilege again to be able to read and share from God's Word with you. This morning we turn to Hebrews, continuing our study of this book, and we are skipping a few things in between. We turn to Hebrews chapter 7 today as we read about somebody who was relatively obscure but turns out to have a great significance in understanding the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. Those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who became a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we, Draw near to God. May the Lord indeed bless his word to our understanding. Sometimes we do not understand the significance of something that we are asked to do until later. In hindsight, we see what the purpose of it was. There was a movie that came out a number of years ago, Karate Kid, and Daniel is a kid who gets beat up and has some bullies dealing with him, and he wants to learn to defend himself, and Mr. Miyagi is going to help him. 
And so he goes to his house, and the first task that he is given is to wax cars. And he is told, wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. If you've seen the movie, you know. And after that, he is to paint a fence. And he paints up, and he paints down. And as he is going through all of this, he thinks, what am I doing? Am I slave labor or what? And it's not until afterwards that he begins to see this is the foundation of the moves that he needs to be able to begin practicing karate. It was in hindsight that he saw that. And so as we are dealing with Melchizedek, who is referenced in Genesis 14, we might read there and think, who is this guy? He shows up out of nowhere and he disappears. There's no other reference to him except one in Psalm 110. And we think, what's the significance? And now in hindsight, the writer of Hebrews shows us that here is a type, a picture of Jesus and his work as high priest. One who is not only king, but also priest. And so we want to unpack that this morning and look at it. We think first that there is that mystery. Who is this man, Melchizedek? We see him as he meets Abraham, who has gone to rescue Lot from five kings who have taken him captive and taken all the spoils that they could carry. And he meets this man, Melchizedek. And his origin and his end are obscure. We read about this man. He is without father or mother or genealogy. That There's no record. And that's, again, astounding because if you go to the book of Genesis, what do you find? You find lots of genealogies. There's a concern always for who was the origin? Where is the father, the mother, the, the descendants? And yet, Melchizedek has none of them. We don't read about his being born. We don't read about his dying. And so he's kind of just set there without beginning, without end. Neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. And so there is this mystery then. Who is this Melchizedek? And we are given some information about him, king of Salem, priest of most high God. And some have thought, well, maybe this is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God who manifests himself to Abraham. And yet, he resembles the Son of God. He is like the Son of God. He is not the Son of God. So I believe that here you have a man who is given to us so that we might, in hindsight, see the fullness of the ministry of Jesus as king and high priest. Here is one who is patterned after the Son of God. And we think about Jesus. We think about him as the eternal Son of God and as true man. And already in eternity, Jesus had committed himself to being a savior. And Melchizedek then is patterned after Jesus, after the Son of God, rather than the Son of God being patterned after Melchizedek. And so Melchizedek then was king. 
That's what his name means. There are two Hebrew words put together, king and righteousness. So he is the king of righteousness, if you would translate it as our writer says. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, that is, king of peace, because if you translate Salem, it would be peace. And Salem has significance because we see in Psalm 76 that it is used as a reference to Jerusalem. And so again, that significance of all tying together something of that kingdom of God. And that's not surprising because what is the characteristics or what are the characteristics of the kingdom of God? Righteousness and peace. And here is a king who reigns in righteousness. And it is righteousness that then brings about that peace. We think of how those are connected together. In Psalm 85, we may read, Mercy and truth have met, righteousness and peace have kissed. What a beautiful picture of the rule of a righteous king who brings about peace. And we think of how that understanding continues. When the Apostle Paul is going to describe the kingdom of God, he says in Romans, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That here is that hope that the people of God have. And Melchizedek then is that king of righteousness who rules with righteous judgment. And when we think about Jesus, and we think about his kingship, he is one who is righteous, who brings peace. We think of Jesus as he entered Jerusalem before his crucifixion, and how the crowds gathered as they heard that he was coming, how they cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord that they were exalting him. They, they were expecting a king to rule in their midst. But Jesus' kingship is far greater. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the one who has ascended into heaven and has claimed all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. He is that king to whom every knee shall bow. There was the expectation that God would provide a righteous king. Jeremiah, who was a prophet at the time when Israel, because of its rebellion against God and sin, would be taken into captivity, looked ahead to the promise of God. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. That here was the anticipation, the hope that would be fulfilled in Jesus. And he would indeed come and he would ascend and he will come to judge the world. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that function of Jesus as righteous king 
when he preaches in Athens at the Areopagus, and he says to the crowd that is listening to him, because God, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He will give assurance, or he has given assurance to this, to all by raising him from the dead. And that is Jesus. And so there is that kingship, and yet, and yet, how is Jesus known and described? We think of Isaiah 9.6, speaking of the coming of Jesus, of his position, and he is declared to be Prince of Peace. He is not a king who would be a tyrant, who would rule ruthlessly, but a king of righteousness and a king of peace. And so Melchizedek sets forth that example, that picture of Jesus, but the focus here is still more on Melchizedek as priest. That he is a priest to God Most High. And this is God Most High that is the God of Abraham, who is called Abraham, who has said to Abraham that he would be his God, that he would care for him, that he would bless him, that through him the nations of the world would be blessed. And Melchizedek is a priest of this God. God Most High. One name of God that emphasizes He is exalted. That there is none above Him. That He is the sovereign ruler over all, having made all of creation by the word of His power. And it is Melchizedek who has this priesthood as, as an order, a category that is independent of anything that has been revealed through Moses. That that comes later. And that here is someone, we don't know the origin, the end, and yet he is functioning as priest. And I want us to think about two functions of Melchizedek as priest, and then think about those in relationship to Jesus. And in our text, what do we see? Beginning of verse 4, See how great this man was, speaking of Melchizedek, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. Melchizedek, as priest, received tithes. And what's the significance of that? We, what do you think of when you hear of tithe? Well, that's the money you have to give to the church. Uh, well, that's not what is the focus. That's not the purpose. The understanding of a tithe was that I am giving a portion because of my thankfulness, because of my recognition of greatness, because of a devotion that is going to be expressed in action. And so a tithe then was given with that in mind. It's an aspect of worship. And this is what Abraham does to Melchizedek. Now, this tithe would later be promised by Jacob after God reveals himself to Jacob, and Jacob promises that he will give a tenth 
after God has revealed Himself and His promises to Jacob, it's a response of the heart. And this must be our attitude, sort of an aside here. When, when we give to the church, when we think about our tithe, in 2 Corinthians it says God loves a cheerful giver. Because what we give is to be an expression of our gratitude, an aspect of our worship, an acknowledgement that God gives us all things and that we return but a portion back to Him. And it is noted that Abraham gives Melchizedek tithes. Abraham, whom God had chosen and brought out of the land of Ur the Chaldees, who had given him great and glorious promises, who had said, those who bless you I will bless, those who curse you I will curse, and yet this man, who would be the father of nations, gives tithes to Melchizedek. And there is one aspect of that ministry of Melchizedek. He receives that tithe from Abraham. But then also, what is the other aspect? What is the other thing that he does? He blesses Abraham. And again, we are a little surprised. Was not Abraham the one chosen by God to be that line through which the Messiah would come? And yet, very clearly, our text says that it is the lesser who is blessed by the greater. And who is blessing? It is Melchizedek who blesses Abraham. He is seen as greater. And we wonder, this from a man, we don't know his origin. We don't know what he was all doing. We don't know where he went. He, he just shows up. And yet his greatness is manifest. It's clear. And that is highlighted in terms of the blessing that Melchizedek blesses him. That the priests who were called to bless God's people, we think of Numbers chapter 6 where Aaron is instructed to bless the people after worship. That he sends them out with God's blessing that yet here is a man who blesses the ancestor of all the Levites. And indeed, it speaks about Levi, in a sense, receiving or giving tithes to Melchizedek because he is still in the loins. He's still going to be born from Abraham. And so you have these two aspects, receiving tithes and blessing. Connected to Melchizedek, who is set above Abraham. And again, we need to stress the Israelites, from the time of Abraham, identified themselves as descendants of Abraham. When the Pharisees would question and, and challenge Jesus, they would say, we are sons of Abraham. As if this was the great status, the dividing between all people. Either you were a descendant of Abraham, you were a Jew, an Israelite, or you were a Gentile. And yet here is somebody who is not a descendant of Abraham and yet is seen as greater. 
And we may see then the significance because our text now wants to show that the significance of Aaron and his descendants as priests has been eclipsed, has been displaced by Jesus. And on what basis? There is that change. Why? Because perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood. What did the priests do? They received from God's people sacrifices. They would receive the animals. They would sacrifice them on behalf of the people. The people would bring them in faith. And what would the priests declare? They would declare the forgiveness of sin. And yet, that was not perfection. That was forgiveness. But what happened to the people? They sinned again. We've all experienced that. We come to church. We hear the wonderful news of the gospel that our sins can be forgiven. And then we go out and Monday comes and we sin again. The people experienced that. There was no perfection. And so, there was a need for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek. It was not after the pattern of Aaron. Yes, they were established by the law, God's revelation to Moses, but perfection didn't come through them, and therefore there needed to be something more. And that was through the order of priesthood of Melchizedek. That he could do, he was picturing something to be done that could not be done by Aaron and his descendants. And that is fulfilled in Jesus. And that answers one question, how could Jesus be a priest? Because according to the law of Moses, revealed by God, only the sons of Aaron, who came from the tribe of Levi, could be priests. And yet, our text says, it is evident that our Lord, Jesus, was descended from Judah, not from Levi. And so, Moses said nothing about priests from that tribe. How then could Jesus take on that role as priest? He could do it because it was after the order of Melchizedek. And it is in Psalm 110, verse 4, that we read that promise, that commitment of God to His Son. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And what was the significance of that? It changed the priesthood. It changed the basis. Because all the descendants of Aaron, they legitimately became priests on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. But now, on what basis does Jesus gain his priesthood? By the power of of an indestructible life. And where is that found? In God Himself. The power of indestructible life is in God. 
who exists in and of himself and has no need of anything else. And it is Jesus who is true God and true man who has that indestructible life within himself. And Jesus then acts as priest. He brings a sacrifice. Not an animal. He offers himself as a lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Jesus is that priest of a different order who can bring about that perfection who can so transform us that we are now in Christ and we are perfected in Him. That is the difference. That believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We are counted as righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then we think about how Melchizedek received tithes how he blessed. When we think about Jesus, how does that apply to him? Do we say, well, Jesus is head of the church, so when I give money to the church, I give it to him? But this, again, is not the focus. It is our hearts. You see, Jesus is not content with you giving a tithe. Jesus says, I want all of you. I want every affection. I want every moment. I want every thought. I want all of your love. This is what is at the heart of it. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 explains to people, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Do you begin to see the scope of what Jesus is calling for you and me to do? To acknowledge him as the one to whom we give our lives. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, we're thankful for that, but you might be thinking, well, what's in it for me? I give up everything. I have to give up my control of my own destiny. I have to acknowledge that somebody else is king over me. I have to be ready to suffer the ridicule of the world because I follow Jesus? That's what we are called to do. To acknowledge that Jesus is King. That He has every right to rule over us. To expect that there will be troubles. Jesus says, in the world you will have trouble. But do not fear, I have overcome the world. 
You see, a Christian doesn't say, I'm going to have my best life now. I'm going to have a life of ease, a bed of roses. We know that there is going to be suffering, a cross to bear. But while Jesus makes this claim, while he would receive ties, he would receive our hearts, he is the one able to bless. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. But Jesus gives a blessing, a perfection of being able to enter into the presence of God. Our text ends where it talks about a better hope through which we draw near to God. We need to take a moment and, and reflect on that. Drawing near to God. A sinner who comes near to God would be consumed by his wrath. We think of God who dwells in unapproachable light, whose power is infinite, who knows all things. And his glory and his greatness is beyond our imagining. And do I think that I could approach God I know something of my own heart and my sin. And God is holy, holy, holy. And yet, it is because of the ministry of Jesus as priest in the order of Melchizedek that we may now draw near to God. This is the marvel, this is the wonder. Because Jesus has offered himself a sacrifice once for sin we may now approach God. We now may share in His perfection through faith. This is the glorious blessing. The one who has indestructible life in Himself. The death could not keep Him. The grave could not keep Jesus. He was raised from the dead. And He ever lives to make intercession. Therefore, you and I, through Jesus, may approach God. And through Jesus, we are given that picture of perfection, of holiness, of devotion to God. Where Jesus said, my will is to do his will. This was his desire. This is the desire of the Christian who turns from the emptiness of the world, who scorns the suffering of this world, and can say with the Apostle Paul, the momentary light affliction cannot be compared with the eternal weight of glory. And the Apostle Paul had a few things he suffered, being beaten, with rods, being stoned and left for dead, 
being shipwrecked, being attacked, being maligned. And yet, he calls that a momentary light affliction. It is because he understood there was a bigger picture. That his life was not going to consist in fame and fortune and then death. But rather the indestructible life of Jesus Christ that was his, that he would be raised on the last day. To have that perfection. To be able to approach and to enjoy the very presence of God. And that was possible because of the work of Jesus of His blessing. That He would say to people, come to Me. I will give you rest. That those who believe in Jesus see life differently. It's momentary. You get older and you see that more and more. I look at my grandkids and I think they're how big? (laughs) They're almost as big as me. You think, life goes by. And Paul knew that. And he says it's momentary. Yes, there is affliction. The Bible doesn't hide that. There is the suffering that the Christian will endure. Sharing in Christ's suffering that we may share in his glory. But they cannot be compared. And this is the hope of the gospel. Believe in Jesus. He is the one who provides all that is needed. I cannot make up for any of my sins. And yet there is the perfect sacrifice by the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. A far greater priesthood than that of Aaron and his descendants. And Jesus is able to give us that hope that we may approach our God and see Him as our Father being called His children to have an inheritance with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And we begin to understand why the Apostle Paul makes that comparison. He understands the greater hope, the greater glory that will belong to God's people forever. And so Melchizedek, who is this obscure figure that we read so little about, now there's looking back in hindsight, we say this is why God revealed it. In his glorious plan, he gave a little glimpse in Genesis 14 of someone who is a type of Christ. That when Jesus does his work as the great high priest, we may say it counts for all who believe in him. Not only for the descendants of Abraham, not only for the Jews, but for all who trust in Him, that He has provided for their perfection in the sight of God in His own sacrifice. 
And that is what you and I, as Christians, are called to live out. This hope. The readers of this letter first were, some of them were beginning to question. They had committed themselves to Jesus. They had endured much. Some of them had been thrown into prison. Some of them had possessions taken from them. They were held up to ridicule. And some of them were beginning to think, is this worth it? And the writer of Hebrews says, remember Jesus as high priest who perfects you through his sacrifice, makes you acceptable to God that you might be his children. Remember, rejoice, and serve Him with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And long for the day when you will see Him. And be rid of, rid of every vestige of sin to enjoy the presence of God forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God Most High, we're reminded in this passage of your greatness. That you are the God of heaven and earth. That you are the ruler of all. That you are the possessor of earth. And Lord, as we think of ourselves, born as sinners, rebels against you. How we are given a hope in Jesus as the high priest who is after the order of Melchizedek, who could offer himself a sacrifice so that he might offer us to our God. Lord, how we pray that we may know that hope through which we draw near to God as our Father, as our loving Father, as the Prince of Peace. And how we pray that we may live out that hope as we offer ourselves to God in all that we do and say and think and hope and plan. For he is that gracious King, our Savior and our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.